Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves, and we have got something fun on tap this week. We've been talking for weeks, asking, begging, imploring you, the ATB faithful, to send in your questions to the official After the Bell mailbag using the hashtag AskATB. Well, finally, the mailbag is full. We are going to rip it wide open and answer your questions do something a little bit different. As always, I need the snarf to my lion the voice of NXT, Mr. Vic Joseph, to help me along this journey. Well, I'm pretty excited for today. Something different, as you mentioned, something to give back to those that listen to the show. We don't know. Just throwing it out there. We don't know the questions. We haven't You're seen the questions. You're absolutely right. We so have not seen. We have gone out of that. our way to avoid spoiling the questions in the ATB mailbag. That duty has been handled by our producer. You've heard his voice here numerous times in the past, Mr. Alex Metz. Alex will be handling all of the questions. Alex, how the hell are you? I'm great, guys. Good morning. How's everyone today? Tremendous. Excited. Phenomenal. Ready to give I'm back. getting ready for Tuesday. Great American Bash. I'm all sorts of hyped up on Mountain Dew. It's a little early for Mountain Dew, isn't it? <laughs> no, I mean, you guys think I'm drinking wine half the time when we're on pre-production meetings. So Your juice class Mountain does Dew would be look a lot like better. wine. <laughs> Hey, so, I mean, either way you guys want to look at it, that's fine, because you just never know with me. I'm a wild card. Well, let's not waste any time. We've been waiting for weeks, promising this wonderful episode for our ATB faithful. So, uh, Alex, what do you say we get to it? Sounds good. Yes, as you mentioned, uh, our loyal listeners have been using the hashtag AskATB to submit questions that you guys can answer. Uh, I'm going to start this episode off one that uh, with one that is directed – just for you, Corey. This, <laughs> I like these. This is from Caleb at Caleb Cavs Fan 97. His question is Graves, do you have a favorite match that you look back on as uh, the best uh, in your NXT in ring tenure? Oh, man. That's really tough to do because I didn't do many great things in NXT. Obviously, one <laughs> well, of the tag, the team, tag team titles. Uh, which was always a fun run. That that match stands out to me more so for the ending to be able to stand there with Neville, who was a friend of mine for many, many years prior to NXT. Sheamus, a dude that I have a great deal of respect for, to be standing there and holding those titles. That moment will always be special to me, but I genuinely really enjoyed the rivalry with Sami Zayn. That was kind of what I was in the middle of when I got hurt and when I got shut down, uh, but I think Sami and I could have created a little bit more magic. Those were just really, really fun matches. Next, this is Aiden at the H phone. This is a little fantasy booking for you guys. Can Vic and Graves give their women's SummerSlam championship dream matches for this year? So a Raw women's championship match and a SmackDown women's championship match that you would like to see at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Oh, wow. Does this include, Alex, like those that are legends that we can bring back? Could be whatever you want. Of course, we saw Charlotte and Trish Stratus uh, in the ring at SummerSlam a few years back. Graves, may I start? Please. I don't know how they would get to it, but I would love to see the return of Ronda Rousey, and I would love Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch for the Raw Women's title at SummerSlam. I think it's a far-fetched uh, idea on my part, but that's something that, of course, I've been waiting for since the first ever all-women's main event in WrestleMania history. So if Ronda can come back, which obviously she cannot, congratulations. I do believe she is a mother to uh, be. She's expecting uh, to take on Becky Lynch would be awesome. And this is going to seem like a kind of a cop-out, but it's not because I would love to see this at SummerSlam. Bianca Belair, Sasha Banks, 
Bailey. All three of these women that have done so many wonderful things in the pandemic era. I'd love to see that triple threat match uh, take place at SummerSlam this August. I don't disagree. I think those are all good choices off the top of my head on no notice to really think about it, save for Vic pontificating. I'm going to go with this one. Likely out of the realm of possibility, but someday, most likely, we will get it. Bianca Belair, Charlotte Flair. Two of the most physically imposing women on the roster. Charlotte Flair, I mean, who we, we can't say enough about her, what she's done. And listen, if you're tired of Charlotte Flair, she's always in the championship picture. Get used to it because Charlotte Flair has earned her spot. That is where she belongs. Charlotte Flair will be in the championship discussion permanently. So why not bring one of the greatest in recent history, Charlotte Flair versus the woman herself on SmackDown, Bianca Belair. Those two collide. Give me that all day. You know, I like that, Graves. The reason I like that is because we talk about it on this as well. Charlotte Flair, if she's in the picture, complain, whatever you want to do on social media, she's the one who's going to help the next generation move along. And if she's not in the championship picture, it doesn't really help anybody. And that match would actually be very exciting. I wish I would have thought of that, which I hate to actually admit to you. That's kind of the story of our lives, no? That's fair. What else we got in the bag? All right, guys, let's stick with the fantasy booking realm of things here with this next question. Uh, This is kind of like if you would look at the landscape of WWE right now, is this a specific change you would make if you were the one in charge? Mr. Meany on Twitter wants to know, should the WWE unify their titles? Is it time for one men's and one women's true WWE championship? I say yes. What say you? If this were an episode where we were doing in or out, Alex, I could be absolutely no further in than on that concept. Yes, it's a necessity. It's a necessary evil at this point. You've got two separate rosters. You need two separate champions. But to me, in it, this is what hurt boxing for so long. You had nine world champions. The IFB had one. The, the WBA had the one. WBO the WBO had or, one. Yeah, right. So now all of a sudden, when you win a championship to be declared world heavyweight champion in boxing, you have to win like nine other championships. If that's the case, then I think that should be able to happen in WWE on a more regular basis. If you only have one champion, you've got one champion that needs to be written, represent all shows. But if you do the Raw champion, which is the WWE champion, you have the Universal champion, which is the SmackDown champion. But they could compete for the titles. And it's not this title stays on this brand, this title stays on that brand. If there's sort of a crossover, a unification, if you will, we've done it before in the past with Chris Jericho winning the the WWE and World Heavyweight Championships concurrently on the same night, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing that happen. So I see there's two solutions to this. Either do one champion and, you know, have Roman versus Lashley winner take all like we've seen plenty of times in the past and have one guy be the guy or open the gates and have uh, championships be able to be defended across multiple brands. I, I'm not really going to, you know, go on a rant here. Cause I do agree with a lot of what Corey just said to this question. I like, you know, not back in the day, but when it was world champion, Intercontinental champion, tag champion, women champion, list goes on because it also helps out the roster. So I actually would make it one champion, one roster on both Raw and SmackDown. The stories can go from each week. You have your cliffhangers that makes you want to watch the next program. And it also bolsters the roster because those 
guys that we always say are, what are they doing with, or the, you know, people that are asking questions, they're forgotten about. They have now a bigger platform because you're now able to tie in more rivalries and and more great matches and multi-man matches, because now there's a pool of superstars going for one championship rather than there being two different titles. And now you're separating the field a little bit. Vic, I like that answer. And to piggyback, I'm going to do this. I'm a big fan of MMA. I watch a lot of UFC. UFC every week seemingly has a card and sometimes they'll do multiple pay-per-views each month. But what they do is they take the champions of each individual weight class and they feature them and put the focus on this pay-per-view. It's the featherweight title. Here's the middleweight championship. Once in a blue moon, you get a heavyweight championship fight and it enhances the prestige of all of the championships and the champions by making them all valid. There's also something to be said too, and I'll use Shawn Michaels as an example. That's you know no secret here. He's the my, my favorite professional wrestler. Seeing him as the, a rocker, and then you see him break off from the Rockers, and he's in the Intercontinental Division, and he's mm-hmm. going for that championship, and then he finally gets his moment to break out into the heavyweight championship. I like the journey. I like the ride as well as a fan. So if you have less championships, you think of Eddie Guerrero, the rise he went through, European champion, Intercontinental champion, finally got to the right. title. I do believe there are some fans that feel, oh, this guy's being forced on us because he's been here two months, but now all of a sudden he has a world championship match, unlike a Cesaro who had to wait how many years to get it. I think there's a really, really in-depth discussion that you and I could have about this. It's very interesting to me. had another day because we don't have an infinite amount of time. We got a lot of questions to get to. I I really like that question. That was a good one. So Graves, it seems like you are leaning more towards like keeping the separate titles, but having more crossover where the champions face each other to have one like superior title holder. I would say either or. I would love just one champion all the way around in each division and and make the roster be able to go in different directions and and have one solid man and war woman carrying the gold. G3 Assistance through Virginia's Community Colleges is your pathway to a new future. Get a skill. Get a job. Get ahead. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. This next question was not necessarily submitted to the mailbag, but I saw it on Twitter and I saw Corey, you answer it to a certain degree, but I'd love to hear a little more in depth on it. Corey, you were searching the question. No, this you? was no, he was not. And oh, Vic, okay. I'd love to hear your answer on this as well. This comes right. from our friend uh, Bully Ray, aka Bubba Ray Dudley at Bully Ray fifty one fifty. He was asking his followers, "Who was the first wrestler you ever met in person, and what uh, was the first live wrestling event that you ever attended?" Well. Yeah, shout out to Bully Ray, one of my favorites. Great dude. Check him out on Busted Open. I can give him love there, right? Alex, sure, that's where we stole you from. Yep, my old buddies. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I did respond to, to Bubba's tweet. To my knowledge, to the best of my recollection, we were in Baltimore. I believe the year was 1994-ish, the year that Owen Hart won the King of the Ring. We were in Baltimore, my dad, my brother, and I, to go and attend the King of the Ring event. We were down in the hotel lobby, maybe getting breakfast or something. And I looked over and Adam Baum, Duke the Dumpster Drossy, and Bob Sparkplug Holly, who I believe was still Thurman Sparky Plug long before he was hardcore. The three of them were sitting just wait. I don't know if they're waiting for a car or just BSing in the, in the hotel lobby and little maybe, I guess at that 
age, I would have been about 10 years old, approached them and said, excuse me, can, can I have your autographs? And I can't remember which one said it, but one of them said, only if you can name all three of us. <laughs> and me, like a little little wrestling encyclopedia at the age of 10, I was like, oh my God, that's so easy. Boom, boom, boom. And they, they were great, had a great little chat. And I will forever remember that. As far as the first event I went to, I honestly don't remember because I grew up going. That was one of my, my you know, bonding experiences with my father was constantly going to the Civic Arena and seeing wrestling cards. So oh. I can't answer the second part. I remember both very vividly. Uh, do you know what true value is by chance, guys? It's a hardware store. It is a hardware store. I stood in line with my mom at a hardware store to meet Rick and Scott the Steiner brothers. That was my first experience meeting uh, professional uh, wrestlers or superstars. And I tried to, uh, I got scared, handing Rick my old WWE magazine where the Steiner brothers were on the cover in the WrestleMania 9 ring celebrating their victory. I wouldn't have them sign my magazine, but they did sign the 8x10 that I still have framed. And it says, to Victor, and they sign it. We actually... Uh, I told Scott that when I met him uh, later on on an independent show and he was in the car Rhino was driving and he said, hey, man, you know, that kid in the back, he met you years ago and you signed an eight by 10. And he kind of looked at me. and He goes, did I charge you money or something? You know, so it was a fun little story to share there with Scott. In my first event, my father took me to he said we were going to an Italian Sons and Daughters Association of America dinner, the ISDA. And I said, great. So he had me dressed up to the nines, ended up going to old Richfield Coliseum, front row seats. Bret Hart was champion, taking on Mr. Hughes, uh, Mr. Perfect versus a young Shawn Michaels, Crush versus Randy Macho Man Savage. So that was my first live event that I ever went to. That would have been in uh, 93. Wow. Can we talk a little bit more about you riding in the car with Rhino and Scott Steiner? That's very interesting to me. No, we can say that for another episode because there is an episode where Rhino left a half-eaten piece of tilapia underneath the seat of my car in the middle of the summer, and it took me several weeks to find it. So you can connect your dots on what the car smelled like. Do you guys mind if I answer this question? I have a kind of a cool story. You're the you're the one in control here. You're the pencil, as they would say back in the day. So uh, I grew up in the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania, Allentown and Bethlehem, uh, Pennsylvania to be specific. Uh, big territory for the WWE back in the late 80s, early 90s uh, as a part of the Northeast there. A place in Allentown that they always used to run shows at, pretty much it seemed like almost uh, monthly at the time back then, was Agricultural Hall in Allentown, also known as Ag Hall. And they used to take out little um, ads in the morning call, which was the local paper there. Uh, for for when the matches would come to town. I actually have a photo of the clipping of the first event that I ever went to. This was either 92 or 93. I don't know if you guys can see that right there. Macho, oh, man. man. Macho and Slaughter versus Flair and the Mountie. Who else? Yeah, under? Undertaker, so, Berserker. Put that back up there. Well, I'm not I'll, done I'll read it that. Off. I'll read it off to you. Hold on. So, uh, guys, you might have to blur the logo on the top left-hand corner there. But the main card, <laughs> Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Sergeant Slaughter versus Ric Flair and the Mountie. What a, what a tag team showdown that was. Uh, the Undertaker versus the Berserker. Okay. And the WWE tag team titles were on the line. The Natural Disasters versus Money Inc., as well as the British Bulldog versus Repo Man. Tickets, guess how much, guys? Nine bucks. Ten. I will. Okay, I was going to say 12. <laughs> 
So that, that was, was my steal first, today. I'll tell you that. Holy that was my holy. first. Uh, that was my first wrestling event, specifically WWE. Also, back in that time, my dad worked at a local department store in the area called Hess's. He was one of the main guys and behind the scenes. And Hess's had locations all over the East Coast. Um, but they did something similar at Hess's, which was uh, to Sears. They had the photo studio. Do you remember the Sears photo yeah, studio yeah, back yeah. in the day? Yep. They would try to get you to come and take like your family portraits there. And they always had like the goofy backdrops, very 80s looking backdrops and stuff like that. So they were trying to steal Sears' business with that. Uh, the way that they would do it is they would get celebrities to come uh, for events that would draw people in to come use the photo studio so you could go and get your picture taken with somebody there. I remember one time my mom got her picture taken with Fabio. That was like one of the guys that they brought. It was always very like C-level uh, celebrities. <laughs> so one time they worked with the WWE for this event when they were coming to town and they had a whole thing where you could come and meet and get your photo taken at the photo studio with the Nasty Boys. So I went, obviously my dad knew I was a big, big wrestling fan. So that was actually the first uh, the first time I ever met a, a wrestler was getting my picture taken with the Nasty Boys at the department store. I don't know if I still have the photo, but I remember it vividly. It was pretty, pretty wild. Did you smell an armpit? I'm sure I was put in a, in a I mean, massive headlock. Wasn't Allentown Pity City? <laughs> <laughs> this next one, guys, comes from lovely Lance Lumley. And he wants You're to trying know. Trying to get booked? Old Triple I, L. I, I, Sounds like a real bad indies name from Allentown, PA, where he used to work <laughs> the whatever center you called it. Uh, Ag Hall. Ag Hall. Uh, you're from Pittsburgh, Corey. Who would you rank as the top three wrestlers that ever came out of Pittsburgh? Okay, well, number one is really should be uh, number obvious. one through three, Bruno <laughs> San Martino. I mean, the fact that anybody even wants to debate that is is just asking for an argument. Bruno San Martino is a hero here in the city of Pittsburgh, even to people who don't care about pro wrestling. Bruno, it was, he's just that big. I mean, this guy was truly Superman when he was in his prime. Uh, my dad grew up as a fan, worshiping the ground Bruno walked on. And, I, you know, by, by osmosis, I absorbed that same love and respect and admiration. Number two has got to be Kurt Angle. Because aside from Bruno, I don't know that anybody has reached the success that Kurt Angle has, those heights. And number three... That's a really tricky one. Vic, do you know of an, a third that belongs in that conversation? I'm sure as hell I'm not going to put myself in there, even though I accomplished more than most guys in this town. I'm thinking well, I wasn't going to say Corey Graves. I was going to say uh, Sterling James Keenan. But no, that's that guy for, was terrible. That's Way for a different day. Uh, I don't think I can't even think of a third wrestler from Yeah, a, thir a third to sit at that uh, that peak, that level where it's they've they've transcended just being good wrestlers. I mean, Pittsburgh has a litany of, of weird connections to the business. I mean, all, all across the board, from the indies to, to different companies, to WWE, Elias is a Pittsburgh guy, McAfee is a Pittsburgh guy. But I, I wouldn't want to put any of them in the conversation with Bruno and Kurt Angle for quite some time. So I'll, I'll say two out of three ain't bad. Obviously not at the same level. Guy sticks out to me. And thanks to Sean, our editor, for sending this. Shane Douglas, maybe? The franchise is definitely going to yeah. be in, in the conversation. Again, sure. Shane was was on top when ECW was red hot. The franchise character was was lightning in a bottle. Uh, went to WCW, didn't necessarily set the world on fire. Uh, so I, I would say I wouldn't yet put Shane in that, that upper echelon. Uh, but as far as he's definitely got to be in the conversation, I would say he's probably closer to that echelon than anybody else. So I would say, yeah, one, two, two, a, all right, fair enough. All right, guys, this next question is from Seth Jacob, uh, on Twitter. He wants to, he wants to know, uh, my favorite champion in WWE right now is NXT champion, Karrion Cross. 
If you had to compare him to another superstar or legend that he reminds you of, uh, who would you say? Got anyone off the top of your head, Graves? This is going to sound like a stretch, and you're going to smack yourself in the forehead when I reveal this, Vic, because it's a conversation that I believe the three of us have had off the air. And listen to me before you get all upset and start tweeting me nasty things. (laughs) Goldberg. And I'm going to say Goldberg, not in a same sense that made Goldberg Goldberg, but from the intensity, the, the physical stature. Sure. You can, it's easy to draw correlations, but that intensity, that stoic focus, the badass, no frills. I mean, yes, there are frills, incredible entrance. It's captivating the whole package with Scarlet, but standing on his own, physically speaking, he's an imposing, intense individual, very rarely goes out and has marathon classics, the guy that comes in likes to do his work with intensity and focus in a short order. I'm going to not, not direct correlation, not saying they're the same. I'm just saying, if you're asking me who I am reminded of, I think Karrion Cross is such a unique character and a yeah. un- unique entity. It's, it's almost impossible to draw a good comparison, but I'm saying just from a, an objective perspective, looking at your TV screen, maybe you haven't watched for a while. You go, Oh, this guy kind of reminds me of Goldberg. Like I think of, Karrion Cross is someone who has a very distinct uh, entrance. I think he is someone who comes in, as you said, and he's not paid by the hour. He gets in, he gets out, he does his business. It's hard to argue with the Goldberg comparison now that you've said it out Goldberg loud. Goldberg had a hell of an entrance. Uh, he did. I who, would who almost— Who can forget him standing there in sparks for what felt like minutes? That, that was terrifying. Oh, my God. I don't even know who this guy is, but he's going to kick the hell out of whoever's standing across the ring. And then blows that smoke out his mouth. Right? Intimidation, this mind doing? games out of the gate, man. I, I don't know. I don't know if there's another more intimidating person than Cross right now. I, to, to, to not steal Goldberg as an answer, when I think of the entrance and the in and out and the and the bell to bell and the power and the impact, he hasn't had the career this man has. Maybe one day he will. Brock Lesnar comes in, bell to bell, not very long. He gets in, he gets out, gets the job done. And when you hear those chords, you know it's Brock. Hang on, I'm going to send you a mean tweet right now. Okay, well, I'm sure someone... I'm just trying to answer the question because... You're really wrong. You're very wrong. The easy answer for me is there's nobody else like Kerry Vic Joseph, WWE. Oh, great. Please. Okay, next question. Move on, Alex. I love love Corey saying, Vic, you are wrong with your opinion. (laughs) Not even a room for debate. I've I have been in many a car rides with him where he always tells me I'm wrong. It didn't even matter what we're talking about. It could be music, could be fast food, could be the way I'm driving. I just let it roll off my back. All right. This next question, gentlemen, comes from at JP McCartney on Twitter. Is Roman Reigns the most dominant heel WWE champion since Yokozuna? I'm having trouble finding a better answer. Well, I just gave you Brock Lesnar. (laughs) So next question. (laughs) We can move right on through that one. So you would say Brock more dominant than what we're seeing out of Roman right now? 100%. I I am probably in the minority. I love, love, love Brock Lesnar as WWE or Universal or any champion because Brock Lesnar, to our previous conversation about the championships and raising the value and making everything important, people go, oh, well, Brock's not here every week. That's okay. 
Bruno San Martino didn't defend his title every week. He didn't do it on TV for free constantly. It was a, an attraction. It was a video game boss in real life. Brock Lesnar was that dude. That said, Roman Reigns is extremely close to, dare I say, eclipsing the dominance of Brock Lesnar. But you can't leave Brock out of the conversation. Yeah, it's everything Corey just said, Brock Lesnar. At least he didn't say I was wrong on that one. All right, next question. Cassidy Oberhuber on Twitter wants to know who is your ATB dream podcast guest? Man, Graves, you've had a lot on this show, even prior to me joining five or six months ago. Um, I would love to talk to John Cena. I would love to have John Cena on here. I know you've already done that Graves. So that's, that's a little bit more of a loaded question for you. I think John Cena would be so intriguing just to get his insight. Um, Someone who's so insightful makes you look at things in a whole different view. That would be easily hands down the answer for me. I would love to have the boss. He is the white whale. I think we have a better chance of seeing Santa Claus on the podcast than Mr. McMahon himself, but to sit there and truly get a glimpse into the mind of one of the most brilliant men in business, not only our business, business as a whole, but to sit down and just truly chat casually, because that's a guy who doesn't really have a lot of time for casual conversation. He's busy running a global empire. So to be able to have 30 minutes or so to just sit down and thank him for Basically, his contribution to my life, which is what made me aspire to come to this company, to do this with my life, to dedicate my life to the sports entertainment business, but to also understand the mentality as to how a man became a business god. He'd be a great one to have on. That's a that's a phenomenal. Alex, you're the producer. Work on that. Just call him. <laughs> yeah, sure. See, see if we can get that one down. <laughs> Uh, I always find it fascinating to, and of course this is another white whale one, but I always find it fascinating, uh, with the rock, um, you know, when he sort of chimes in on social media about various wrestling things that are going on, or he sees a tweet about something and kind of gives a little context to something that was going on when he was there, uh, just to hear him actually put all the, uh, celebrity and movie stuff aside for a minute and just sit down for, for 30 minutes and just hear him talk about the business. That's, that's one I would absolutely love to hear. You, got you don't really call. hear it that much. Give him a call. Producer extraordinaire, Alex. Coming off of your guys' uh, Mount Rushmore of WWE moments uh, that we did uh, for a few weeks there, we have a few Mount Rushmore-centric questions Okay. Uh, that I'm going to give at you here. The first one is from Mark Matsuo on Twitter. He wants to know, who is the ECW Mount Rushmore in you, both of your humble opinions? I would go Van Dam, Taz, Van Dam, Sabu, Taz, Sabu, Shane Douglas. Oh, Shane Douglas would be one too. I would put Tommy Dreamer in there. Ooh, that's a good one too. Dreamer, yeah. I mean, uh, Dreamer's kind of 1A for me. I mean, there's no ECW yeah, I, really without him. I, that's a no order. It definitely would be Dreamer. It would be Sabu, Rob Van Dam was the pulse of, of, of that uh, place. I mean, it's hard not to think of the Dudley boys. Yeah, Dudleys need to be in the conversation. To throw them in. Uh, if we're whittling this, this down to four, uh, it's hard not to put Paul Heyman on that. True, true. Very you know, true. That so might I'm actually. Just, I'm just throwing these names out there as they're coming to me right now. That's a Maybe. little bit of a cop-out, Vic. He created the thing. I know, but it, the people on screen, you know? 
if we're talking about matches and moments and and things that made me a fan because I was a rabid ECW fan. I loved everything about everything that happened from the time the show came on the air till they went off the air. I was just in that wheelhouse. I was a, a teenage kid and I, I loved WWE and WCW, but man, that was different. There was something special there. That was rock and roll. That was like finding something, you know, in, in your parents' closet you weren't supposed to find. Like, oh man, I, I almost felt like I was doing something wrong watching ECW and that was the charm of it. But I mean, off the top of my head, th- those are the ones. Van Damme, Taz, Sabu, and Shane Douglas to me. Sandman? Sandman could be in the... I, I'm, not uh, I mean, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I... I, I I remember being in ninth grade in a high school and I wore a Sandman t-shirt that I purchased from the ECW merchandise collection that said blood, sweat, and beer on the back of it. And I was forced in first period to turn my t-shirt inside out. How dare they? For the rest they? of the day because it was offensive and dangerous because it said blood, sweat, and beer. Sabu, RVD, Dreamer. Raven's got to be in the conversation. Raven was another one that inspired too. me. Raven to this day, ECW Raven, one of my favorite characters in the history of the business. I mean, again, it just spoke to the the age that I was and grunge was cool and he was yeah. counterculture and different and mysterious. And I, I mean, I could go all day with this. This is a, this is a great That's question. A great so thank you to whoever sent it in. Uh, but I, I don't know if I can give you a definitive answer because I gave you mine, but Vic, I also have agreed with everything that you've brought up. So I, 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 I would solidify mine as Tommy Dreamer, RVD, Taz, and I will have to say Sabu. Those would be my four. And and uh, the only th- reason I will disagree with any of that, Vic, is my personal outlook on Tommy Dreamer from a fan's perspective was I didn't know what Tommy meant to ECW at the time. I watched it and he usually lost. Yep. Dreamer, was, <laughs> Dreamer was never like the That's dude. True. He, so so from a behind the scenes perspective, now knowing what I know and having a relationship with, with Dreamer as we all do and know what, what a force behind ECW succeeding Tommy Dreamer was, I actually got to do a really cool round table on WWE Network a couple of years ago with, with a couple of these guys, uh, the, Bubba Ray, Taz was there just to kind of, they, they really dove into how much of a mom and pop operation it was. It may have seemed like a big major company, but no, Tommy Dreamer yeah. himself was stuffing t-shirts into envelopes to make ECW work. And that I have a whole new appreciation. I'm just saying from a fan's perspective, what I loved about ECW, those are my four and why. Because Tommy's going to text me and tell me yes. that I'm a jerk. I, I, and I deserve it. He's text I, you. He's still going to, I said nice things about him. He's still going to text me. Hey, thanks. You're dead to me. That, I mean, that's what he's going to say to me. So it doesn't really matter to me, but that, that's hey, what I'm just waiting for. Well, good, good. So, uh, Tommy, I appreciate you more for sending Vic nasty text messages. Don't throw that out there, please. Just Thank did. you. Oh, great. Did ECW do, they did the thing where if you had to, if you wanted to buy a t-shirt, but you weren't at a show, you had to like, it was either call a 900 number and place like a, yeah. like a phone order, or you had to send like a self-address stamp, stamp, yeah, there was, stamped envelope. I don't envelope remember how it worked. <laughs> I only did it once because I, and I remember I had, had the Raven shirt. Just the black yeah. and white, which, which I, in my opinion, still to this moment, the single coolest wrestling shirt that has ever been produced was the black shirt with the white outline of Raven that just said, quote, the Raven nevermore on the back. Because it didn't look like a wrestling shirt. It looked like a rock and roll shirt, like a band shirt. And that was all I wanted. It's still my favorite to this day. I think we can do an episode on merchandise maybe down the line. Just I think a little... we could do an episode on ECW. <laughs> yeah, could do that too. Yeah, absolutely. That was a really good question. Going back really to your point, question. Graves. I learned so much about music as a kid from ECW. Yes. 
you know, and yes. whether it was just Raven wearing a Dinosaur Jr. shirt under his flannel or, you know, hearing Thunder Kiss 65 at the start of the show. Right. Like, I learned so much about the music that I still listen to to this day just from staying up too late and disobeying my parents and watching the show. And I think <laughs> I think that can also be credited for me because, again, I was at that age where I knew those bands. So when I could see a wrestler come out to a white zombie, like, whoa, this didn't happen in WWE. And I know Paul Heyman has gone on the record many times and say he had loopholes. Let's be honest. There are some <laughs> unanswered questions there. There are probably a few back owed royalties somewhere along the line. But when someone's coming out do? to War Machine by Kiss, I know there's something going on because Kiss doesn't let anything slide through the cracks when it comes to Gene Simmons. So no. that's something interesting, too, to me. All right, this is from Justin on Twitter at Say It's 18. He wants to know, in your guys' opinion, what is your favorite money in the bank cash in of all time? I think there's only one. Which one's yours? The heist of the century, main event of WrestleMania, Seth Rollins. Are we kidding me? I mean, I know there have been some incredible cash ins, but to me, I will never, ever forget this. And forgive me if I've told this story before. I was sitting with Byron Saxton at the top of Levi Stadium by where our TV set was because we were doing a live updates on the network every hour. And Byron and I were sitting there and we had earpieces in so we could actually hear the commentary and audio. Way, way up at the very top of the stadium, we're watching Roman and Brock beat the hell out of each other. And since I had my ears in, there was the sound, the drums. But then being in the stadium... I got the actual live sound of the drums. And Seth Rollins' music at the time was... So all these layers of drums in my headset, in the stadium, feeling the rumble, it took me a good 10 seconds to realize what was happening. Because I heard the drums, I heard everybody cheering, but it didn't register to me what was happening. And Seth was about halfway down the, the ramp. Because I wasn't watching on a monitor, I was watching from up above. Saw Seth halfway down the ramp and went, oh my God, this is happening now. And... I knew nothing. I spoke to Seth after his match earlier that night with Randy Orton and texted him and said, hey, man, unbelievable. It was that RKO that had everybody buzzing. No one on earth saw that coming. So to me, that wasn't just a feel-good moment. That was the main event of WrestleMania, Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, and who has the last laugh? Seth Rollins. That made Rollins. That's the best cash-in of all time. And, you know, the personal relationship and also became a fan again. For that moment in time, yep. you became yep. a fan again. I did. Um I go back to the first one. I go back to Elimination Chamber. John Cena survives, and we're getting ready to turn the TV off, and then you hear Mr. McMahon walk out. We're not done yet. This man is cashing in his money in the bank, and out comes Edge. Bam, hits the spear, one, two, he kicks out, that being Cena, and I go, oh, you got to be kidding me. And then, boom, he gets hit with another spear. Uh, you know, that was cool for me as a fan because uh, I was a big fan of Edge, through, even through The Brood, and that goes back to music too. Great entrance by The Brood. We can do a whole thing on entrances as well. That first cash-in is probably my favorite cash-in of 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 all time. I won't argue too hard with that because of the importance and the magnitude of what that meant. Because if that cash in doesn't happen and isn't successful and isn't edge on John Cena, is money in the bank even a concept still? Does it really work to where it's become a staple? It's almost like an additional title in WWE to mm -hmm. be Mr. or Mrs. Money in the Bank is arguably as prestigious as holding a, an intercontinental championship or a United States championship just because for what it means to where your career is going. And if yeah. that first ever cash-in doesn't have that magnitude, maybe we're not in the same position. We're definitely not getting ready for the Money in the Bank standalone pay-per-view where right. there will be two ladder matches for the men and women if that first one doesn't work. So I agree with that. I would say that's, that's a good one. That was a cool one. 
All right, guys, and this will be our last question for this episode of the ATB Mailbag. This one, not necessarily like the Bully Ray question or the Bubba Ray Dudley question was submitted to the mailbag, but another one I saw on social media the other day that I thought was interesting and would love to hear your guys' thoughts on. This one was posted by the at WWE on Fox account, and they asked their followers, what is the most important match match in WWE history i saw the tweet when it came out i think i saw the rocks response did he respond to this I yeah he, he said uh he said hogan chic at uh, msg and that's why i didn't respond because my response was different than the rocks but when rock said that hogan versus chic truly set fire to hulkamania mm-hmm. it became a phenomenon that dominated the 80s into the early 90s and it's funny how as we get older and technology advances that seems like ancient history right you go talk about the 80s people go oh that's cool nostalgia but the way time moves so fast and the way we consume things that might as well have been eons ago but to to remove it and look at it objectively for what it meant to the business and what hulk hulkamania did for not only WWE, but the entire industry. Without Hulkamania, there's a good possibility that three of us aren't sitting here talking to ourselves or each other about this business for sure. Uh, So I I actually agree with The Rocks. My answer was going to be the main event of the first WrestleMania, which was Hogan, Mr. T, Piper, Orndorff. Which goes back, by the way, to our Mount Rushmore. Exactly. Without To go back to the Mount Rushmore, if that main event, if the addition of Mr. T, as questionable as it, is now you're looking at why the hell was Mr. T in the first main event of WrestleMania? Mr. T was the dude at the time. He was he was Americana, pop culture. He was one of the biggest stars in the world at the time. So to have him in that match alongside Hulkamania, which is red hot, Orton and Piper on the other side of the ring doing the playing the, the villainous foil, if that doesn't succeed and doesn't pack the house and do well on pay-per-view, as we've discussed when we did Mount Rushmore, WWE definitely doesn't exist how we know it. Maybe it doesn't exist at all. It's hard to argue with The Rock. I'd love to have him on the show, so this is a personal invitation uh, to come on whenever you want. I go back to my Mount Rushmore moment, and it's Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, WrestleMania three, And it's everything about Hulkamania up to that point. It's a reason WrestleMania three had the indoor attendance record of over 93,000 people in the Pontiac Silverdome in Michigan for so many years that to me, that moment, that body slam, everything about it, gorilla monsoon on the call that stands to me as the most important match in Russell in uh, WWE history. And definitely in WWE history. Now, while we're having this conversation, mind you, anybody listening, feel free to do your research, dive right. in. this is a fascinating look, look back to the days that predated WWE in the old, when there was a world champion, even it, pre-NWA, this would be a great conversation to have with like a JBL type who is just a oh, historian yeah. who knows things off the top of his head. All the all the double crosses and the screw jobs before Montreal. There's a lot of really weird, dare I say dark, but always interesting history as far as championships and, and titles and matches that did or did not take place for different reasons throughout the history of wrestling. It's actually kind of woven itself into the business as part of the fabric, the sort of mistrust that was taking place back then. Um, it's definitely worth interesting. So I'm not saying that our answers are the correct answers. Feel free to, to form your own opinion, but use this as an excuse to do a little research, a little history. Dive in as to some of the most important matches in the history of the business prior to WWE. It'll be a good way to waste a day. I have a follow-up to this question for you guys. And the answer might be the same. I'm not sure. So you guys gave your 
most important matches in WWE history. Is there a match that sticks out to you as the most important to you personally as a fan that like, hey, without me seeing this match or experiencing this match or that match taking place, I don't necessarily know I'd be the fan that I am today or even involved in the business the way you guys are? I got to go with Hogan Warrior at WrestleMania 6. That would be I remember too. my earliest memories in life are being approximately three or four years old. I, I was gifted for Christmas wrestling action figures. There was a giant Hulk Hogan figure that was articulated really probably worth like a million dollars nowadays. But uh, my, my dad's friend got me that for Christmas because he knew I was obsessed. So Hogan was my guy. And I just started to get to be the age where I had opinions. I'm six years old. I'm, I watch this every week religiously with my dad. And this Ultimate Warrior guy is awesome. I don't know, Warrior, that's my guy. I love Hulk. But I don't think I've ever experienced human conflict at that age. That was my first. That's why I think it's, it still resonates with me. That was the first time I felt conflict as a child because I felt like I love the ultimate warrior. He's my guy. I want to see him win. But Hogan's been my guy for so long. He didn't do anything wrong. And I, I feel like I'm betraying Hulk if I root for warrior. And to this day, that, that resonates with me. And I'm sure that's why, like on a human level, that was the first time I ever experienced those emotions. I don't recall the very first match that drew me in. For some reason, Hulk Hogan, Sergeant Slaughter sticks out because my cousin uh, signed you hate up. America. No, my cousin signed up and was in Desert Storm. And I remember my dad and, and like my family being very upset at Sergeant Slaughter uh, during that <laughs> time. And so that's the one that first steps. So I can say the one that propelled me to say uh, I've always been interested in professional wrestling. But before I came here with the background I had where I was like, I want to do this, no doubt in my mind. And it was like the final stamp was Shawn Michaels Undertaker at WrestleMania 25 um, was like the final. one. like, I got to do this. Like no more. Like I got these. This is what I've done for my life. Great. I want to really give this a shot. So that was like maybe the most recent one that I can actually stand out and say. But the earliest memory, for some reason, Hogan Slaughter is the one that sticks out for, for that reason. But um, that's a difficult one off the top of my head. I'd have to sit with that then. Another one that sticks out to me, obviously, I was a huge Warrior fan, so – Corey, your, your selection rings true for me. But as a kid, I remember like the time I was drawn in the most and like had to just, uh, uh, absorb every piece of content and, and stuff that was put out by the WWE leading up to this match. Can I guess uh, this? Go ahead. WrestleMania seven warrior savage. No, Sean, ah. Sean and Brett. Oh, uh, okay. WrestleMania well, 12, the Iron Man match. Just I thought the you were whole sticking with warrior. No, just the whole thing with Jose Lothar and just like yeah. the entire buildup to that match and, yeah. and the, the rivalry between Brett and Sean kicking off. I just, I, I, I would, had to, I had to have that pay-per-view. I would like, agree with that, Alex. And, and maybe even subconsciously that resonates more with me. I think it's one of those ones that I just go, all right, I've, I'm tired of hearing about it. Yes, we I know. know it was amazing. Everyone yeah. just talking. But, but to your point, at that age, again, I would have been about 12 years old then. And maybe, maybe subconsciously that was when I went, Hmm, maybe I could do that because prior to that, it was guys the size of Hogan and warrior and these monsters, these maniacs, but Brett and Sean, I went, I could be like that. And then to hear the Jose Lothario story and hear Sean's boyhood dream going, I kind of have a dream like that. And he did it. And maybe I can. So I think you might've nailed it with that, Alex, that I think without realizing that probably resonated with me a lot more than, than I even realized just because we've talked about it, but to, to sure. take a step back and, and look back and think, yeah, that might've been it too. Yeah. Graves, you're a little bit older than me, but I think for, for you, it was about getting in the ring and having that 
you know, be part of your life and a career you wanted. Right. For me, it was the first time I really experienced like a story from like beginning to end told in the ring. And then at the end, it was really about, okay, who actually is the best here and who right. can last 60 minutes and who can prove. And like, that was the first time I, as a fan, I really experienced what like that wrestling storytelling was really all about. So like you said, it's been talked about to death, but that one will always stick out to me. All right, guys, great discussion today. That will do it for this very first edition of the ATB mailbag episode. I hope you guys had fun. That was I a had a time. blast. I actually really enjoyed that. I am sure there are plenty of questions we did not get to, and we will do our best to do that on a future episode of After the Bell. This is fun. A nice change of pace. Eh, Vic? I loved it. I thought it was great. A lot of great questions really made us think. I, I do enjoy not knowing what they were, and we had to do it just off the top of our head to give you very organic and very real answers. I thought it was a lot of fun. So keep the questions coming. Use the hashtag AskATB, A-S-K-A-T-B. We will do our best to do this again in the near future. Until then, follow at After the Bell WWE on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find me at WWE Graves. He is at Vic Joseph WWE. Listen for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But if you're using Spotify, search for After the Bell. Hit the follow button on Apple Podcasts. Hit the plus sign on the After the Bell page, and you will never miss an episode. While you're there, throw us five stars, please. It really helps. Leave us a review. Find all the WWE podcasts at WWE Podcasts on all social media platforms. We'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, more WWE after the bell.